0: Let's welcome our online audience today. Everybody's joining us online from around the world, wherever you're watching. Thank you for joining us on this Resurrection Sunday. Wherever you're watching, we invite you to be our guest. If you're ever in our area, we'd love to have you. It's one thing to watch online. It's a whole other level, though, to be here in the house, in person. So thank you for joining us today on Resurrection Sunday. Now, today, I'm going to do something I have never done on Easter Sunday, probably have never done in any message Today I'm going to tell you that you are the jury. This is a courtroom, and you are the jurors. And each one of you must give a verdict today. Do you believe was Jesus a fairy tale? Was he a myth, something made up? Was he a prophet, someone who walked the earth and did good things? Was he a lunatic? What? What was he? You're going to have to make that decision. Well, my mom thinks this, or my dad, or everybody, what, no matter what age you are hearing this message today, you must give an account for yourself, how do I read this verdict? Is Jesus who he said he was? And if he, said he, if he is who he said he was, then how am I to respond to that? And so today, we're going to present to you the case I'm calling Face the Facts, Turn to your neighbor and say, face the facts, only the facts. There you go. I'm going to give you only the facts today. I'm going to build the case, and I want you to decide if I've done a good enough job building the case and what you believe about Jesus. So I'm going to ask our lovely court assistant, Josh, can you come and help us with Exhibit A today? Give it up for Josh, yeah. He's already been sworn in. It's okay. He's doing a great job. Uh, today, I've, I'm ready, prepared to present our case I borrowed this from our, my attorney this morning, and uh, I'm ready. Are you ready? I present to you as evidence. Evidence is displayed number one. The Bible says, God prophesies that I will come again. It was prophesied that the Messiah would come. From the time that Adam sinned, and, Adam and Eve sinned in the garden, God already had a plan in motion to send his son For the redemption of the sin that was placed in the garden. Now, many of us think that Satan tried to stop God's plan. He got Adam and Eve to fall into sin. But God knew that free will, which is what he given us, free will to choose him, that he would not make us choose him. That we would freely have to choose him meant that we would have to also make mistakes. And we also would blow it. But God, knowing that we would blow it, also provided a way out and was 10 steps ahead of the enemy. That when the Bible says that when Adam and Eve fell, that the enemy crushed their heel, but he was raising up another Adam that would crush the skull, crush the head of the enemy. God was already 10 steps ahead. So God already had a plan to send his son. His son was prophesied about. Let's look at the, not only the historical, but the biblical prophecy saying that the messiah would come 700 years before jesus was born the prophet isaiah said all right then the lord himself will give you to a sign look the virgin will conceive a child she will give birth to a son and call him emmanuel which means god with us time out there was mary a virgin yes we know that she was a virgin The Lord came to her and said, Mary, you're going to receive through the Holy Spirit. You're going to carry the Christ child. Now, I say time out because I want you to understand this. Mary and Joseph were engaged. They were not married yet. And so there was no way during this time, during this season, that the laws were so strict about marriage and having sex outside of marriage that if someone was to become pregnant outside of marriage, they could legally be put to death. They could be stoned for that act. That's how strict the laws were back in this day. And I just be really honest with you today, there was no red blooded young man who was ready to get married was really okay with a virgin birth. I can just tell you that right now. Joseph was not really ready for a virgin birth. Mary was not, if she could choose it, she wouldn't choose to be the person whose life would be on the line. Their reputation, run, people making fun of them, people denying them. So for them to choose to walk this path had to have something miraculous happen. Could it be the angel who appeared to Mary? And the angel who appeared later to Joseph had such an impact, they were willing to do what was necessary. They said yes to the assignment because they knew the assignment was leading to the Messiah coming to the world. Why else would they put their reputation, their own life on the line if something miraculous had not have happened? He said, angel said, you will call him Emmanuel, which means God with us. Look what, Numbers 24, 17. Prophesying way back in Numbers, I see him, but not here now, but I perceive him, but far in the distant future, a star will arise. Hello, angels appear to... The shepherds said, Go find the star. There you'll find the Savior. He is born to you this day. But it was prophesied many years before the star would arise that out of Jacob, who was where? Out of the lineage of Abraham. It was prophesied out of Abraham's lineage would come the father of many nations, that the Messiah would come from this lineage. And it says right here, out of Jacob, a ruler, a scepter will emerge from where? From Israel. One last scripture, Micah 5, 2 said, but you, O Bethlehem, what do we sing every Christmas? O little town of Bethlehem, right? We all sing about, the world sings of this promise. The world sings of this happening, but it was prophesied many years before in Bethlehem. You're only a small village among all the people of Judah. It was prophesied that Jesus would come from the Judah tribe. Yet a ruler of Israel, whose origins are in the distance past, will come from you on my behalf. And we can go on and go on and go on, and we can say that there is so much prophecy about Jesus being born. Do you realize there's almost 400 prophecies about the Messiah coming and being born from heaven to earth, almost 400. There were some very smart professors who got together and they decided to run the numbers about the odds of one man completing all of these prophecies. As they start to put the numbers together, their mind was really blown. They they said this, if we take just eight, let's just take a handful, just eight of these near 400 prophecies. If one man could complete just eight of these prophecies, it would be the same odds as if we took a one-by-one one square white tile, little bitty small one-by-one one white tile. We placed one white tile underneath it with a red mark, and we went across every piece of dry land on the earth, every continent we put, covered every piece of dry land by the white tile. And then we pulled somebody out who had no idea where this white tile was. And we said, you can go on any continent you want to go to. You can search wherever you want to go. But you got to find this red tile on the bottom, which is not showing. All it's showing is white. You got to pick the one tile. You have one chance on seven continents to find that one tile. It's the same odds Of a person, one person fulfilling eight of these prophecies. I'm here to tell you, to the jury today, Jesus did not fulfill eight. He fulfilled every single one, nearly 400 prophecies. What I'm saying is this. They said it was mathematically impossible to give you the odds. That there was no language that would express how much the odds of one person fulfilling all of these prophecies. It's unimaginable. It's It's impossible. But yet Jesus fulfilled every one of the prophecies. Was there eyewitnesses? I say, yes, there was. We had the innkeeper who checked in, Mary and Joseph. We had those who worked for the inn. We had Mary and Joseph themselves we had the angel who went to the shepherds on the hill and said, hey, fear not, this day i bring you good news. Go back, find the star, follow the star, there you'll find the baby Jesus born. His name is Emmanuel, God is with you. And the shepherds left the fields and went to find Jesus and they found him and they worshiped him. Why would the Bible state the shepherds? Why would God use angels i just put it out there and ask you, why would God use angels? Why not go to the doctors? Why not go to a teacher? Why not go to somebody else, maybe with a greater status? Why did he choose the shepherds to be the ones to go and to be the eyewitnesses? Could I just throw this out to you, jury, for a thought today? The Bible says that Moses, on the instructions of the Lord, started an event of the covenant of the tabernacle, and they had to take... Their spotless lambs, their goats, their young lambs, and they had to offer it to the priest to be offered up as a sacrifice for the atonement of the sins. And these sins are only atoned for for that season. And every religious season, they had to bring that same sacrifice, they had to bring a different sacrifice and put that lamb up for the sacrifice to make atonement for their sins. So, is it no coincidence that when the Father sent what the Bible calls the Lamb of God? He who knew no sin, the spotless lamb, to be born, that he would send off the shepherds to come and see the Lamb of God being born. The same shepherds who were raising these sacrifices, the same shepherds who were taking care of these sacrifices are now going and being eyewitnesses to the Lamb of God being born. It says that the wise men seek Jesus and they went, Remember the king said, hey, go find him. When you find him, tell me where he's at. And the angel said, don't go back. He's seeking to kill the Messiah and go a different way home. And they brought the gifts to him. We have eyewitness accounts of Jesus' birth. Now, may I tell you this, that in a court of law, many people are convicted or set free or acquitted based on one eyewitnesses. And if you have at least two It's considered a slam dunk case. So today I present to you biblical evidence. I present to you historical evidence. Do you realize there is more historical evidence that supports that Jesus was born than Caesar? But no one questions that Caesar was born. Over 18 historical documents and resources cite the birth of Jesus. Twelve of those, listen to me, jury. twelve of those come from non-Christian sources. Twelve non-Christian sources said that Jesus was born just as the Bible says he was born. So today, we see Jesus predicted, the Bible predicted, it was prophesied that Jesus would come, I will come, and it did happen, which leads us to point number two. If Jesus came to be born in the manger, then we know this also to be true. Jesus said, I will be crucified. And the Bible, before Jesus was ever born, prophesied that the Messiah would have to give his life for the sins of the world. Look at the biblical reference here, Isaiah 53, 3-6. He was despised and rejected, a man of sorrows, acquainted with deepest grief. He turned, we turned our backs on him and looked the other way. Did that happen? Last week we discussed. Hosanna on Sunday and on Friday crucified this guy. Turned our backs completely on him. We looked the other way when he went through three court trials in the middle of the night. Can you imagine getting up in the middle of the night realizing your Savior had been put on trial three times publicly without a public defendant? without proper representation, just thrown out there to have a sham of a trial in the middle of the night. We turned our backs on him and we looked the other way. He was despised and we did not care. Yet it was our weaknesses that he carried. It was our sorrows that it weighed him down. And though, and we thought his troubles were a punishment from God, a punishment for his own sins, but he was pierced. For our rebellion, crushed for our sins. He was beaten so that we could be made whole. He was whipped so that we could be healed. Second Corinthians 5.21 says, For God made Christ, who never sinned, to be the offering for our sin, that we could be made right with God through Christ. Could I put to you today, yes, he was born. Yes, he was born. And some of you say, I'm still not convinced, Pastor. I'm still not convinced that he was born. Well, let me call a star witness today. Could I please do that? Today I call to you the US government. I know, they need a little credibility, but we're gonna pull them forth today anyway. If you got a driver's license with you at all, or any form of ID, can you pull that out of your wallet, your purse, your pocket? Pull it out real fast, can you do that with me? I want you to look at that ID. And on that ID, you're going to have some numbers there I want you to look at closely. You should all of us, if you have a driver's license, state-issued driver's license. Who issued this license to us? Who? The U.S. government. I cannot what? I cannot drive without a state-issued, U.S. government-issued ID. I cannot fly without a state-issued U.S. government ID. I cannot open up a bank account without a state-issued U.S. government ID. I can't do all these things that are requirements that I have a state government-issued ID. But on this ID, it should have three dates on there. One date is the day you were born. The other date should be the date that the license was issued to you. And the other date should be the date of the expiration of that license. How many have that on yours? Yeah, okay. Well, you do right, so may I make a case to you to the jury that the U.S. government issues on this official document that I must carry around with me, proving who I am. Three times on this, it says that over 2,000 years ago, a child was born so significant that it even changes the way we keep time today it even changes the way that we view time. It even changes the way that every legal document sent out, every date on my phone that comes through my phone, everything I see is backing up the case that something really miraculous happened right here, that the Messiah came. So much that it changed the world. Then he said, I will come and I will die. I will be crucified. Jesus predicted it. Jesus said it. I'll be dead. I'll die. It was it was prophesied that the Messiah would have to come and bear the sins of the world on the cross. Did that happen? We have eyewitness accounts that it happened. Hundreds upon hundreds watched as they took our Savior from that trial, tied him up to a whipping post, yanked his clothes off of him, and with a whip made of nine straps. Hooks and metal and rock and broken glass. They took it and they whipped and pulled the flesh out of his back. 39 times, 39 stripes he took. After 39, his whole back had to be exposed. His whole back had the meat hanging off, the flesh hanging off. It was not a pretty sight. After they did it, hundreds upon hundreds witnessed that. They took the same man and they threw him down. They took their hands and pulled out his beard by their own bare hands. They made a crown of thorns and mocking him and said, you want to be king? Here you go. And they shoved those long thorns throughout his head. They spit and mocked him. They auctioned off his clothes. They yelled. Then they made him get up and carry that same cross on that same back that he had just had exposed and opened up. Now he's carrying it up Calvary's hill only to have himself hands nailed and his feet nailed to the cross. Could he have come down off of that cross? Could he have come down? I, I present to you evidence today that this crucifixion was something that Jesus chose to do. For an example today, have you ever had two boys argue about whose daddy was the toughest? My daddy can beat your daddy up. How many remember those days in, in school? Anybody remember those days? My daddy, said, my daddy can beat your daddy up. My daddy, Oh, no, my daddy can beat your daddy up. And then one boy says, oh, yeah, but what, what, what's your dad ever done? Well, has your dad ever been in a fight? No, but he's, a, he's, a, he's good. He's good in the office. <laughs> he takes out the trash for mom. Yeah, and... Uh, yeah, he's never really been in a fight. Was there no karate? No, he do not know no karate, but he's tougher than you are. You're tougher than your dad, I promise you. I don't think so. Well, what's your dad's name? Well, my dad's name is Mike Tyson. <laughs> you know, it's really the same, same theology today when you think about it. Jesus didn't, he was already coming to the fight. He had already proven his power. He had already defeated, in one setting, 6,000 demons fell at his name. He spoke to the wind and the storm and the sea. And they calmed and they obeyed him. He spoke to the death already. Lazarus, come out. And that body got up right out of the and floated and came straight out. I'm telling you, he had already displayed his power. He would already displayed his might. And so he chose. He chose the crucifixion. It did happen because he allowed the enemy to take his best shot. He allowed himself To be nailed to the cross. Why would anybody do that? Because he loved you and I that much. That's the only person that would do that, that had that much power to fight back. Is a person who loved us unconditional. That while we were yet sinners, he died for me and you. The evidence is very clear. A person who already had the signs and the wonders, had already done all these miracles and showed his biggest flex that he could handle anything For him to submit to this kind of punishment, only someone as big as the Messiah, who could love as big as the Messiah, would allow himself to be crucified. Well, I don't believe he died, pastor. I've read in some books where they don't believe that he really, really died. Well, I'm glad you asked that question. Because the Bible says that in that day, as they were drawing near to the religious holidays, they were ready to get this crucifixion over so they could go and go celebrate their religious duties. And so as custom, if so many hours upon the cross, you were nailed to the cross, your hands and feet nailed to the cross, the only thing supporting the weight was those wounds, those nails in your hands and your feet. If you wanted to breathe, you would have to push up on your feet with the nails in them and spikes in them and grasp for air. And what was happening was people's bodies would begin to drown from the inside out, their lungs filling with fluid, the body swelling from within, going into a major cardiac arrest. And for many people, sometimes they didn't always die as quickly. And that was the that was what they were trying to do. They were not trying to get it over fast. They wanted people to and crucifixion was the most hideous, painful cruel deaths we've ever seen before. They tortured people to death slowly. And so if they were not going to die, they would come up and they would send them to break their legs. That way they couldn't hold their weight up any longer. Only hanging there as their arms and shoulders came out of socket and they would be hanging there supporting themselves only by their hands nailed to the cross. This is how they finished them off, but they weren't dying fast enough. This is how they did. So, in order to do that, they went up to both thieves and they said that they were not dead, so they broke their legs. And when they got to Jesus, it says that he was already dead. Therefore, there was no need to break his legs. So, instead, they took a spear and they put it in his side because of all the swelling. It says that water and blood flowed out of his side, not knowing that when that one puncture, they were signifying, they're fulfilling the prophecy that out of his side would come living waters, that there would be a blood that would cover all the sins of the world. They wanted him dead. There was no way they would even allow him to even think about faking a death. There was no way. They knew they had strict orders, make sure he is dead because they had heard the prophecy as well. And they were trying to do everything they could to prove that he was not the Messiah. So you better make sure he's dead. And in their attempt, they did not break his legs. You say, Pastor, why is that important? Because there's another prophecy that came forth as well. This prophecy came out and it says this, that not a bone in his body shall be broken. <laughs> not a bone in the body of our Messiah will be broken. That's in Numbers nine twelve. So when they didn't break his legs, it fulfilled the prophecy that he would die without a bone being broken in his body. Jesus had already shown that he would come, and he did. As we prepare to show slide number three here, he said, I will come, and it did happen. He said, I will be crucified, and we have eyewitnesses. We have historical accounts We have biblical accounts and we have common sense that say these things have already happened. Now I bring to you the third point today. You must decide. He said, I will rise again. Did Jesus resurrect on Easter morning? He said, I will rise again. Look at the biblical account. This is what Jesus said before he died. Matthew 16, 21. From then on, Jesus began to tell his disciples plainly. Okay. This was not in parables. This was not in a mystery. This is plainly Jesus taught his disciples. It was necessary for him to go back to Jerusalem. Remember, he had a ride it on the donkey. And that he would suffer at the hands of the elders, of the leading priests and the teachers of religious law. That he would be killed. So he's there, he's born, he's alive. He said, I will be killed. But on the third day, I'll rise again from the dead. Now either he is the biggest fraud, he is the biggest lunatic. Who says you're gonna kill me but I'm gonna raise again in three days? Who has the audacity to say that only a Messiah, only God in flesh knows that I've got the power to come, I've got the power to willingly suffer, to be died for your place on our sins, and I will rise again. Did he have that kind of power? He'd already demonstrated that kind of power. When he spoke to Lazarus, come out of that grave after he'd been dead for a few days, Lazarus came out of that grave. Do you mean? Yes, and all throughout the Bible, we see the foreshadowing of this. Think about it. Daniel thrown in the lion's den. The next morning, he's still alive with the lion's. (laughs) Think about Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego thrown in the fire. He's supposed to be dead. They're still alive. Think about Jonah. Three days in the belly of that well. I'm here to tell you that our God went to the grave dead, but he came alive and rise again on the third day. And we have eyewitness accounts. We have biblical accounts. And we have historical accounts of all of these things. And even common sense. It says that Mary and Magdalene and Mary, the mother of James, they they, they came to give Jesus spices and they prepared things. Like we would bring flowers to a gravesite. They would bring spices and put them around the grave. And in the gravesite, as tradition, they had prepared it as an offering. Saddened their way of mourning. They came at daybreak and stone was rolled away. Where did you take them? Where did you take him? The angel appeared to him and said, don't look for Jesus here. This Jesus that was crucified is now alive. Go tell, go tell the disciples. He is risen. Now historical figures have wrote about these women being the first ones as the eyewitness accounts of Jesus' resurrection. And I would tell you, if they were trying to do it in a way that would hold the most weight, if they were trying to lie, if they were trying to stress the truth, they would not have picked women to be the witnesses. Because in this particular day and age, remember the discrimination against women at this time that Jesus came to set you free. But they discriminated against women, and they didn't see their testimony as valid that a man's testimony was seen as more solid and more believable. So the fact that all of these historical documents say That the women were the first ones to be the eyewitnesses is saying, hey, this is exactly how it happens. We're not trying to paint the best picture, but this is exactly how it happens. And I love it that the first New Testament Easter Sunday morning message was preached by two women who went on and said, come and see the risen Savior. He is alive again. They told the disciples. Disciples didn't believe and They ran on back to the grave to see what had happened. They're like, what had happened? What's going on? They've taken this, where's he at? Jesus appears to his disciples. Not once, not twice, but many times over the next 40 days, Jesus appears to his disciples, even to the one who was the biggest skeptic of all. You know him, doubting Thomas. There's always a doubting Thomas in the jury, isn't there? There's always a doubting Thomas in the family. I won't believe it until I see it. I'm not going to change. You guys are seeing a ghost. You guys, I know you want to. You're not really seeing Jesus in physical form. Jesus shows up and says, "Thomas, come here." What? Is it really you? I don't. You're not Jesus. He holds out. He says, "Place your hands right here. Look. These are the nail scars. Look at my side. Here's here's where they pierced my side." And even Thomas became a believer. May I say that Jesus was so impactful that he went and had a dinner and a breakfast on the beach a few days later with Peter. Remember Peter out there with a few of the disciples and they're fishing? And a guy yells from the shore, hey, cast your net on the other side. They did it and their nets are capacity full. They're like, what? Is...? And Peter remembers, oh yeah. I remember one time when I was with Jesus before he died. He did the same miracle and he sees it's the Lord, and he, he jumps in, and he swims the shore, and the others drag the fish in, and Jesus is there preparing a meal for them. What a glorious morning that was, right? Jesus says, Pete, do you love me? Yes, Lord, you know I love you. Then feed my sheep. Pete, do you love me? Yes, then feed my lambs. Feed my lambs. Three times he asked him, Peter's like, God, you know I love you. What was he doing? He, he was showing back up to Peter. Peter, oh, yeah, you remember when you denied me a few days ago? When I really needed you a few days ago? Remember when I needed somebody to look at and you cursed my name when they saw you in the crowd? When Even when I told you before the cockroach crow that you denied me three times and you said you'd never do it and you did it, Pete, I love you. You are restored. Go out and feed. Go out and share. Feed my sheep. Feed my lambs. May I present to you the most overwhelming evidence that we have that speaks of the resurrection of our Savior? Is this that Peter was in hiding? The disciples were in hiding. Why? Because they feared that they too would be crucified. This cruel and such a painful death that they did to the Savior, they didn't want that to happen to them either. So they were in hiding. They didn't want to be. Crucified themselves. But after the appearance of Jesus, something happened that lit a fire, and these same people who were hiding now went out and spread the gospel as martyrs around the world. They spread as men with their hair on fire, their spirits on fire. They said, May our spirits burn within us. And they shared, even if it means costing me my life, and it did. They shared this truth with passion. They shared it with an energy that had never been seen before. Even Jesus' own brother, who was not a disciple, James, James saw Jesus as a snot-nosed brother. He said, no way, you know, no way my brother can be the Messiah. He denied it, didn't believe it. You guys do it, but I'm staying away out of that. After he, was, he saw his brother crucified, and when he saw his brother resurrected, even the doubtful brother who would never gave any props to his brother said, you are the Messiah. And it says that he went on to open up the church, and he was died a martyr's death, giving his life for the cause of Jesus. What would make a man that radical change? He had to encounter Jesus. How about Saul, who was persecuting the Christians who were saying they saw the Messiah resurrected? He was putting them to death, having them arrested, having them put in jail, having them killed. This same guy who's doing that has an encounter with Jesus. And now he's out sharing the gospel. He's planting the gospel. He's starting churches. He's causing revival to break out everywhere. The same guy that was putting people to death are now bringing to life. Nothing could cause that radical of a 180 unless you had a personal encounter with Jesus. We're still alive today. This church is still alive today because of these men who took the message upon death. Face death and said, you know what? We're going to declare the message is alive. So I make room to you today as we make known our third point. Jesus said, I will come again. Did it happen? I believe I've shown enough evidence that it did. I will be crucified. He said it did happen. I've shown enough evidence. I believe it has happened. And I believe this. Jesus said, I will resurrect on the third day. We have all these eyewitness accounts, all these things. There's one last statement that he said. He said, I will return again. I will come back. So the question I have for you, ladies and gentlemen of the jury today, is this. If you believe that this happened, which we celebrate every Christmas, right? Our government celebrates every Christmas. It's put on our legal documents. So you believe that he was crucified and we have significant, historical, biblical, eyewitness accounts that say, yes, this happened. And you believe that the resurrection happened, which we have physical evidence, we have physical accounts, we have historical accounts, and we have biblical accounts. Then, what are the odds? What are the odds that he will do as he said he will do when he says, I will come back again. I will return again. If this wasn't true, if he didn't rise again, I get it. Hey man, he prophesied he'd come back to life, but he's dead. His body is still in the grave. His bones are still there. We know, there's proof, he's, nothing's happened. Then I get it. Then all this was, we were just put together as a sham. We were all deceived, but the fact that this happened It validates that this happened it validates that this happened and it validates that this will happen how will you respond in closing arguments today I say you must give an answer this answer can't come from your mom it can't come from your dad it can't come from your friend you must give an account for yourself if this happened then that means this also will happen just as he said. Matter of fact, Jesus even told us, he goes, hey, listen, in Matthew 24, Jesus said, no one knows the day and hour when I'll come back, not even the angels in heaven or the Son himself, only the Father knows when the Son of Man will return. He goes, it'll be like the day of Noah. In those days before the flood, the people were enjoying banquets, they were partying and they were having weddings right up until Noah entered you both. And then it says in verse 6 and 8, and you will hear of wars and threats of wars. Don't panic. Yes, these things must take place, but the end won't follow immediately. Nation will go to war against nation, kingdom against kingdom. There'll be famines. There'll be earthquakes in many parts of the world. But all this is just the beginning of the birth pains of more to come. We see it all. There's not one thing that he mentioned here has not happened over and over again recently. Before 1950, biblical prophecy was slowly being fulfilled. It kind of went, you know, every so often, a little bit slow, a little bit slow. About 1950, 1960, something amazing happened. All of a sudden, all these biblical prophecies of Jesus' return are now being fulfilled at a rapid pace. All I'm telling you is, we don't know the day, we don't know the hour, but we can tell you this. It seems like the clock is speeding up. He prophesied that the Antichrist will rise up, that you won't be able to purchase anything unless you have the chip, the mark in your head, your hand. Well, Pastor, that's not going to happen. No. Listen, we just went through a pandemic. And we've seen what can happen when people begin to panic. Just a shortage of toilet paper and you people lose your mind. Can you imagine when there's no food, no essentials, stores are empty, there's going to be a mad panic. People are gone. People who are flying planes disappeared. People who are driving cars disappeared. People who are living next to me disappeared. Mad chaos, mad panic. One man will rise up, try to bring order. Establish, you gotta have the mark to go in to receive these goods. Uh, we've got goods to give you, but you gotta go in. Well, people would never do that. How many of you had to go into a store Had to have your head scanned just to go inside of a store during the pandemic, checking your temperature? Anybody here? I'm just saying, it's possible People are gonna line up a lot faster than we think. All these things are pointing. I'm not saying the pandemic is a part of the tribulation, but what I'm telling you is, it shows us how easy this thing is gonna rise up and it's being set into motion, plans into motion on how easy it's gonna be. Why? Because he said he would come and he came. He said, I'll be crucified and he did. He said, I'll rise up on the third day and I did. And he says, I will come again and he will. So, excuse me, ladies and gentlemen of the jury. Maybe this Easter I didn't give you something to make you laugh, or maybe I didn't give you something that you feel like was entertaining, but let me tell you this the most important thing is what do you believe? If Easter really happened, then it demands a response. If I believe that he really rose again, and he's coming again, then this changes the rest of my life. I live my life for his return. I come to church more than just Easter. I'm telling my family who needs to hear this. I'm telling my friends who need to hear this. I'm I'm giving my life to more serious. I will return, he's coming again. I gotta make sure my family, my house, my children are ready. What's the verdict today? Bow your heads. You must answer this question for yourself. One day you will stand before the Lord, and you won't have an excuse. I didn't know. I wasn't. I wasn't ready. I didn't know. I needed to make. Listen, I've given you the, in the short thirty minutes. I've given you as plain as I can. Christ was born, Christ died, and he resurrected, proving his power over sin, over hell and the grave, proving that he has the authority to give us our sins to be forgiven. And if all those are true, then this is also true, Jesus said, I'm coming back to take you with me to a place. In my Father's house are many mansions. If it was not so, I would not tell you this. But he told us he's going to prepare a place for you and I. A place where we're going to meet our loved ones that have passed on. A place where we can reunite with those who have surrendered their heart to Jesus. But no one gets there on a free pass. We all must come to the decision do I believe He was the Messiah? Do I believe He died on the cross for my sins? And do I believe that He'll come back again after resurrecting? You have to answer that. With every head bowed, I want to give you a chance today. If you say, Pastor, I've never answered this in a way that says yes before. I've always just kind of left it out there, not really making a decision. But today, I want to make a decision to surrender my life to Jesus. I want to make a decision to follow Jesus. On this Easter Sunday morning, I'm ready to say yes to following Jesus. Nobody's looking but me. We're not going to do anything to single you out or embarrass you, I promise you. But if that's you, can you just raise your hand and let me know? Pastor, I'm ready. Today's my day. Let me know you're ready to accept Jesus. Thank you, thank you, thank you. Silver hands going up. Yeah, thank you. Anybody else want to join them? Come on, raise it right now. If you haven't raised it yet, that's me. I'm ready to surrender my life. Thank you. i see those hands. Put them down. We're going to say this prayer together. If you raised your hand, I want you to say this prayer after me. As Christians around you, we'll help you along as well. Say, dear Jesus, forgive me of my sins. Thank you for dying on the cross for me. I believe you are the Messiah, God's only Son. And from this day forward, I will live for you and I will follow you all the days of my life. In Jesus' name. Amen. If you prayed that prayer for the first time, just give me a hand. Welcome to the family of God.